Good morning, church family. Whoa. Once again, we're getting back to basics. Hopefully this is helpful. This one, getting back to the basics part four, is about regeneration. It's probably, and I'm looking at here, how many of you, you can still grab one of these, you're going to need these. These are the statement of faith from a Chinese community church. And this one is point four, which except for point five, and I didn't count the words, but I think it's the shortest one, and it's going to take two Sundays, I believe, to get through it. Now, we're offering the doctrine class, and we didn't have a lot of takers, and so if Muhammad won't come to the mountain, the mountain is going to come to Muhammad. <laughs> Welcome to doctrine class, which is basically what we've been doing. So, I'm going to share with you, but first, we need the kids up front again. If you are a kid, I'd like to have a little chat with you, if you would come on up. Do we have any? There's a few of you. All right. Well, you can just gather around right here and turn this way, and we're going to have a little talk. I'm going to tell you a story. Now, how many of you have heard really sad stories? Have you heard a sad story? It kind of makes you feel, ah, that's sad, right? Well, this one is a sad start, but it ends really, really good. And it's really kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So I'm going to tell it to you in a way, hopefully you guys will understand So this is the sad part. There was a boy, and while he was being formed inside of his mom, like we all were, how many of you were, you know, you were born, right? We were all born. How many of you remember it? Okay. There's always one, right? Okay. Um, Repressed visions of the womb. I don't know. But probably most of us don't remember. But we were born because we're here. Well, while this little boy was being formed inside of his mom, Something didn't work right. And so when he was born, he couldn't see, he couldn't hear, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. That's sad, isn't it, to think about that. And so because of that, he could never see his parents, he couldn't hear them, and he couldn't really feel them much because he was paralyzed. And so he lived most of his early life, you know, in bed when he was a tiny little guy in a crib and stuff. And then eventually they would put him in a chair, in a, in a wheelchair, but he just never knew his parents because he couldn't see them. Wouldn't that be hard if, if, if you were born and you could never see, have never seen your parents, even from the day you were born? And you couldn't hear them when, when they were talking? And, and, and you couldn't feel them a lot of the times because you just had, didn't have any feeling in most of your body. But you, you, you knew that there was someone there and they were out there because they would come and they would bring you food, right? But, but you just, I don't know them. And so I've never heard anybody talk. And I don't really know what love is. Nobody's explained it to me. But maybe you felt a little bit like someone's out there and they're caring for me. But this little boy didn't know, never able to see his parents and didn't know what they looked like or or even who these people were that were out there and bringing him stuff and caring for him and changing his, his, his clothes and stuff. But then, one day, a miracle happened. And he was sitting in the chair And all of a sudden, 
He could see. And all of a sudden, he could hear. And all of a sudden, he could feel the rest of his body. And then in the door, in the room, the door opens and his dad walks in and says, Son, come. Come to me. And he gets up out of the chair. He doesn't even understand how he can understand the words. He's never heard people talk, but he knew that that was his dad, and he knew that his dad was saying, come. And, his, and he went to his dad, and his dad hugged him and kissed him and, and, and held him and told him he loved him. And he knew what that meant. And the boy said, what happened? And his dad said, you were born again. And God fixed what was broken in you so that you could see me and come to me when I called. And that's what today's sermon is about. So thank you for coming up. All right. So the the doctrine today is regeneration. And this is the point. For the salvation of lost and sinful man, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is essential. For the salvation of lost and sinful man, regeneration or rebuilding, redoing is necessary. For the Holy Spirit to come into the life of the believer and like the little boy who was blind and deaf and paralyzed, who couldn't hear his father calling, who couldn't understand what love of his parents was, that's what needed to happen. I am a doctrine junkie. I sit with a copy of Thiessen's Systematic Theology on the table beside my bed for years, and I wrote it, and I read it for fun. And you're thinking, what a nerd. I've given you the gospel message before. It's fairly simple. And if you just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came as, as the God-man, that he lived a perfect sin, sinless life, that he died on the cross to exonerate you and atone for your sins, and that I accepted him as Lord and Savior, that he rose again from the dead on the third day, he was taken up to heaven to be beside God and be our advocate. And if you believe those things, you are saved. Now, I can only I know this, only God and you know if you made that decision and you made it in earnest and that you have crossed over from death to life. Okay? And, and it's a fairly simple message. It, it's not that complicated. It doesn't take a long time to say it. I mean, there's and so it happened, and it happened in my life, and, and I came to Jesus and, and it and it seemed to me like I made this decision. Okay, I heard this stuff, it made sense. It wasn't that hard. I was 12 years old. Uh, You know, it was in a language I could understand, and the points weren't that difficult. And I just said, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. And I was taken. At that second, I was transformed from, 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 from dead to life, except there was a process that I didn't know anything about that it was happening. It seemed pretty simple. And guess what? It was fairly simple as far as what it took. It was very, very complex, though. And what happened leading up to it. But a lot of people, a lot of Christians, in some churches even, 
Say, you know what, we just got to stick to that basic. Let's just stick to the gospel message because doctrine is it's complicated. And, and, and sometimes there's doctrinal points that people disagree and Christians disagree. And it just causes division. So don't, don't worry about that stuff. Let's just, let's just stick to this. Let's just stick to, to the gospel. But... What did I tell you, and hopefully you've listened. This is a test. It's pretty simple. I gave you two things that I thought were the most important things that a human being could ever be involved with. The first one was being reconciled back to God. What was the second one? Being transformed back into the image of God in this life, right? And so we could go to Scripture and we could say, just tell me the gospel. Okay, five minutes, boom. I accept. That's it. That's all I need. I'll just love Jesus and everything will work out. Oops. Somehow I messed up here. Hmm. Okay, maybe I'm not. I'm looking for Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and somehow I missed it. Hang on, I got it written down. Because we need to know this. Why is doctrine necessary? Because, starting in Ephesians 4, verse 11, he gave, the, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all reach unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to become mature in manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, so here's important, right? Why are we here? If, we, if I've already been saved, I, I'm done. I'm done. I don't need anything more. God's already saved me. I've gone from, life to, from death to life, and, and now I'm saved, and I, I'm going to go to heaven, and I would say, you're right. But then the Bible has also all this other stuff. Why do I need that? Well, it says, so that we can all attain the unity of the faith. So we're all unified around the faith. That's the things we're talking about now, these, these points of statement of faith. So that we can all be unified. We talked about that when we first started this series. Why do we want to do this? Because we are unified around a particular set of beliefs. Okay? And then we come to the full knowledge of the Son of God. I could give you the gospel message, but you don't have the full knowledge of God yet. And so we want to learn more about this God that saved us, this God that loved us, this God that, that atoned for our sins. I want to know you because being saved is great, but God said, now I want relationship with you and you with me. And in order to do that, just like a relationship with anything else, we have to know one another, and we can get to know one another better by learning the fullness of God's knowledge and truth about himself and about us from his word. That's why we're doing this. And we're being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through that word to be more like Christ all the time. Okay, then it says, and so that in, in, in Ephesians 4.14. And this is really important, especially in our day and age now. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay, so that's out there. So one of the things that we are trying to do is to gird ourselves up with the truth so that we are not carried away by false teaching and false doctrines. Because if all I knew was the gospel message, yeah, I'd be saved. But when someone comes along and says, guess what? God wants you to be rich. And if you aren't rich, it's because you aren't being faithful enough. Or God wants you to be healthy. God wants, he doesn't want any of his children to get sick. And so all you need to do is have enough faith and you can just claim it and God will give it to you. Or he'll say, oh, well, you know what? Yeah, God was great, and he saved you and everything, but if you aren't working your way through this, if you aren't really good now, it's out. You're out of the family. And if you fall for any of those things, I'm not saying you're in danger of your salvation, but you do not have the truth of God that offers you the kind of relationship that he wants you to have. And so here we are, we're going back through these beliefs because they unify us, because they help us be transformed to the image of Christ, and because they give us a fuller knowledge of who God is for the purpose of relationship with him and relationship with one another. And so, okay, Tim, I get it. I get the importance of doctrine. You can just back off of that. I don't have a problem with listening to your sermon on doctrine. It's okay. Um, but the question then is, what do we do? <clears throat> what do we do when we run into doctrines where Christians disagree? How many of you have ever had a Christian tell you something <laughs> about the Bible and you said, man, what, where'd you get that? And maybe they're even knowledgeable. You know, maybe, who knows, maybe it's even been me, Tim. I don't think you got that right. Um, there are a number of doctrines, they're non-essential doctrines, where Christians who are legitimately saved and sincere and even very knowledgeable, even Bible scholars, even theologians, and they come down on different sides of different kinds of doctrines. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because this is one of them. This is one of those doctrines where Christians disagree. Not that it was necessary for the Holy Spirit to regenerate me to come to faith in Christ. Everybody agrees on that one. It's just, when did that happen? What does it really look like? And who was doing what? Was it God doing everything? Was it me doing everything? Or was it a combination of the two things working together uh, in, in cooperation that made it happen? And so Bible scholars, pretty much nobody agrees that, uh, or nobody believes that it was, it was me. I regenerated myself. Didn't happen. Um, you know, we're going to look at this before. I'll give you a little sneak tidbit here. Um, it's going to be called born again, right? We're going to look at that. Regeneration, born again. How many of you were there and did something in your own birth? No. Guess what? Nobody believes you have anything to do with this one either. No, I shouldn't say that. Um, but keep that in mind. So, so there's no Christian scholar that's going to say, yeah, I regenerated myself. I was born again and I did it. But 
where the differentiation comes is that, well, I had to cooperate with God's Holy Spirit in order for this to happen, or the other side says, nope, God just came in and did it. Okay, so as we get, and we're going to look at that, and I have an opinion, and I'm going to share my opinion on it. And I studied this thing. I'll I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, I came here 34 years ago, back in 1990, 33 years ago. I'm I'm a horrible at remedial math. Um, Oh, by the way, I was saved at 12, born again. I'm just going to tell people I'm 52. I'm sticking to that, too. Tim, you don't look 52. I don't look 64. <laughs> so anyway, where was I? I, 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 de- I derailed my, myself here. So we're, we're going to go through this doctrine. We're going to look at it. And I pretty much know I did not regenerate myself. So the question is, how much cooperation did I have? And I have an opinion. I'm going to share that with you. Um, but recognize that how do we deal with those kinds of doctrines when we have disagreements amongst ourselves. Now, number one, here's the, the truth of the statement. When we have those disagreements, here's what you have to remember. Scripture only says one thing and only means one thing. So there is a truth, right? When we disagree, there is a truth. And so since it only says one thing and means one thing, there's only one truth, there are two options left. One of the people is wrong, or they're both wrong, right? Because we disagree. Now, if I, was, if I disagreed and said in this particular doctrine, no, Tim, I think I needed to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in order for me to be regenerated and born again, uh, and, then, and then I'm over here and I say, no, I think uh, you, you had nothing to do with this. The Holy Spirit just came in and overwhelmed you and did it. Would I still be saved? Um, would we still be brothers in Christ? Yeah. Would we still love one another? I certainly hope so. And so we would have to learn to agree to disagree in love and hopefully in fellowship with one another and so that we would maintain the family bond. How many of you have ever disagreed on, a say, a, a, a political question with someone in your family? Did you say, okay, that's it, I'm done, you're out? No. And hopefully you won't do that here either. Okay, so we're going to get into some things. <sighs> this is why it took two Sundays. This is like, you've heard of Pandora's box, right? On the lid of Pandora's box says soteriology. <laughs> soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. Okay, because when I said yes to Jesus, and the, and, and the message was pretty simple, the doctrine of salvation has all of the things that were happening behind the scenes that maybe I never knew of when I came to Jesus, but nonetheless are there. Maybe it's like making sausage, and you know, I, I love the sausage, but I have no idea how they put it all together. The thing about sausage is you don't want to know. This one you should want to know. <laughs> 
right? This one you should want to know because this is going on, and, 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 I, and I've had these explanations and these discussions with Christians, and they said, uh, oh, it's just it's, it's too unsettling. There's too many things to think about. I just, I just want to just remember, I, I chose Jesus, and, and he loves me, and I'm going to be saved. And I say, okay, I, I get it. Because sometimes some of these truths can rock the things that you've always believed and they cause you to rethink it. Okay, so I came here. I'm going to use some theological terms. Well, we may not get hardly anywhere on this sermon. Um, <clears throat> I came here from an Arminian viewpoint. I grew up every single church I went to, as far as I could tell, before coming here, was an Arminian view of theology. And what that means is this. The Arminians believe that we choose God, that God provides enough provenient grace that everybody at least has an opportunity to see God, that, that the Holy Spirit has comes to every single person. Hello, Bueller, hello. And then some will, some will say, okay, I, I'll listen to the knock and I'll open the door and I'll, I'll come in and, and then I'll start wandering around and see, and, and eventually I'll, I'll find Christ. I, I was from that view that, that we choose, and everybody has a chance, and, and it says in Romans chapter 1, or that, that, that I, everybody can look out and see that there's a God, and so there you have no excuse. Actually, the reason for that verse was not to say, yeah, everybody can come to Christ because uh, God shows himself and he reveals himself. No, it's, it's for God to say, see, I showed you, none of you came, therefore you're guilty. Okay, but the, the Arminian viewpoint says, yeah, God has given everybody enough of the Holy Spirit that they at least have a chance, if they cooperate, if they choose to cooperate, to then be led farther down the path and find Jesus and accept him. In essence, we choose God, and everybody gets a chance. Now, there's another, I hate this word. This one gets thrown out there a lot in the Armenian view. Free will doesn't exist. Free will, if free will was exactly what people say it is, 50% of the people would be Christians and 50% would not. That's the law of probability and statistics. If everybody with no outside influences was just say, okay, then half would choose and half would not choose. There is no such thing as free will. We're going to look at that as we look at the doctrine of total depravity of man. See, what happened was I started down the road of let's talk about regeneration, and then I thought there's no way this is going to make sense unless we go through the entire process of salvation point by point. Then when I get to the questions of, okay, what is regeneration? When did it happen? And who did it? You'll have the answer. You'll have the answer already. Okay, so we're going to go through that. But, but to say I have free will, like, okay, there's nothing in my mind. I have, I have nothing influencing me. I can just evaluate from a clear, clearly objective standpoint. And, hmm, okay, well, there's God. Okay, I'll choose. Nope, I, I, I'm not going to pick God, or, or, or yes, I am going to pick God. Guess what? That's not true. The only person or persons that ever existed that had anything close to a free will were Adam and Eve before the fall. After the fall, the Bible tells us we are slaves to our sinful nature. 
Everything about our hearts, everything about our minds was totally broken, and so it's impossible for us to have free will. We are slaves to sin. Okay. Keep that in the back of your mind. It's going to come up again. So here I come from the Arminian viewpoint, and I think, yeah, people choose God. And I come here, and I'm challenged by Pastor Ron, and he's preaching some stuff from the pulpit, and I'm thinking, hey, buddy, what are you talking about? God chooses me? I don't think so. That's not what my pastor said. That's not what the pastor before him said. That's not what the pastor before him said. So I came to Ron, very indignant. Okay, look, buddy. What's the story with this? You need to give me the answer. And in typical Ron fashion, he said, okay, Tim, you read this. You read this, read this, read this. You read these scriptures and these scriptures and these scriptures. And once you've done that and I digested it, you come back and you tell me. What do you think I meant? And it started out with this big, thick book called The Sovereignty of God by Pink. And it went through a number of other things. And three years later, I came back and I said, Ron, I completely believe that God is absolutely sovereign and chooses us. And without that happening, not a single one of us would ever come. We would all die in our sins. We would receive the just punishment for our sins. And every single one of us would go to hell. Now, that's a conclusion that I came to. I am not trying to tell you that there aren't sincere, loving Christians who believe the Arminian view. They're just wrong. (laughs) And we'll have some great times in heaven, right? Because there are things I'm wrong with. Anyway, I'm just telling you, how do we deal with doctrinal issues where we differ? So what I didn't want to do today and next Sunday now, is rock somebody's world by saying, oh man, I'm just going to uncover the foundation of your faith and just chip away at it. I hope that doesn't happen. But recognize that there are some truths that we can know that will help give us an insight to what this regeneration thing really is. And so we need to start by going through the process. Okay, so once again, the salvation process. <clears throat> no, huh? I, I'm missing. Huh? I'm going to just bag the slide. Sorry about that. Okay, so we had regeneration in John 3, 3 through 5, <clears throat> says this. Jesus answered him, and he's talking to Nicodemus. How many of you remember that story? Nicodemus. <laughs> Okay, Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees, right? He comes to Jesus. He's been hearing him talk, and he comes and says, hey, what's going on with this? And Jesus tells him in John 3, uh, 3 through 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, no one can come to the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus says to him, as typical man fashion, well, what do you mean? How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Duh. Um, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so he's saying, look, you can't not. You cannot, from the mouth of Jesus, you cannot come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ unless you are born again. 
Go through that again. Jesus, when asked, how do I enter the kingdom of God, says this. First, first, you must be born again. So what clue does that give us to when regeneration must happen? What do we know? This is logic. This is not a rhetorical question. Logic. Salvation. First, you must be born again. When does it have to happen? Before you're saved. <laughs> if it's first, it's first regeneration, or before that, and then salvation, then it has to happen sometime before I accepted Christ. Because there is a view that says, no, no, I am regenerated when I accept Christ. Then, okay, I, I, I accept Christ, and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit come in and remake me. Would that be consistent with what Jesus just said? No one can enter the kingdom of God, basically be saved, unless first he is born again. Okay, so this process of regeneration, we're starting to get a few clues. When does it happen? Hmm, well, it seemed to me like before I can accept Jesus, somebody has to open my eyes and give me a new heart and a new mind. Okay, so that's the regeneration process. So let's look at Titus now. <clears throat> Titus 3.5, it says, He saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's go through that again. He saved us, God saved us because not something that we had done, not works that we had done, not righteous things that we might have done or participated in, but because of his mercy. And he did it by the washing and the regeneration and the renewal done by his Holy Spirit. Okay, so just a hint, one more hint. Did you hear yourself in there? What do you think? Did you hear, um, well, Jesus prepared the tub the Holy Spirit threw in the soap, and God poured in the water, but then I washed myself off. You hear any of that? Don't think so. So if I was to ask you just based on this, who do you think is responsible for the regeneration process? Certainly it wasn't me by myself. Well, yeah, but Tim, here I'm going to go with that view you just gave me. I'm going to say God provided the tub, the water, the soap, uh, put me in, but then I washed myself. I don't think so. Okay, so this is the regeneration thing. It is somewhat controversial. Okay, <clears throat> in order to kind of figure out again how this happened, we need to go back to where we all started. Okay, so where did we all start? We all started <clears throat> dead. When I was born, spiritually, I was stillborn. Let's see if, what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins, 
spiritually dead, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were all by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of them. Now, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. He is addressing this letter to, to the believers in Ephesus, and he is telling them, you were dead, dead spiritually. Dead meaning dead. Dead not meaning sick. Dead not meaning ready to expire. Dead like dead. Let's, let's look at, again at another scripture in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, and they go like this. It is written... Says Paul, says Paul in the letter. None is righteous, no, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. For all have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues they use to deceive, and the venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they do not know, for there is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the doctrine of total depravity of man. This is where we all started. How many of you have ever heard the doctrinal term, the depravity of man? Okay, so this is the starting point of lots of doctrine. Lots of different doctrinal channels say, okay, where did I start? Well, I'm sick, but I'm still there enough that I kind of raised myself up out of my sickness and crawled my way to God. And then he, he lifted me up and took me from there. Or I'm laying there on my deathbed, and I've been poisoned, and somebody sets this little jar of, of, of the antidote on my, on my nightstand, and I have just enough strength left in my body to take it. <sighs> now I'm better. Nope, doesn't say that. It says you're dead. Dead people don't fix themselves. And so we started spiritually dead. That's why we needed regeneration. That's why we needed to be born again, because we are totally depraved. Now, total depravity does not mean that there aren't good things in people. It doesn't mean that every single human being is as bad as he could possibly be. What it means is every aspect of the human, their will, their soul, their mind and their heart is broken and is never on their own going to seek after God. That is where every human being that was born after the fall began their existence. Totally depraved, spiritually dead, not looking for God, and in fact resenting the presence of God in their life. That's as far as we're going to get today. But we are going to go through these. Let me give you the five steps. We are going to talk about then <clears throat> election 
in predestination. Oh, I said the P word. Ooh, predestination. You mean God's already determined everything before I was even born? Okay, <clears throat> if that bothers you, good. Hold on to it. Bring it back next week. Okay, calling. This is the process of salvation. Some will disagree on what each one of these means. Some will disagree on where they come in, in order. But here it is. I am very confident that this is true. The first one is election and predestination. And it takes two, choice, two, two pathways. One of them is God elects people based on his foreknowledge of who's going to accept him anyway. Or God's total sovereignty that says, nope, I choose. The next one is calling. Somehow God had to call you. The next one is regeneration. I had to be born again in order for the call to be effectual for me. Then I was given the gift of faith so that I could then hear the gospel message and accept it. And then I accepted it and became saved. That is the process. And for us, it looks like maybe one little five-minute prayer where you got down on your knees and asked Jesus to, to be your Lord and Savior. But I can guarantee you, according to Scripture, every single one of those steps occurred in your life if you are a believer and follower of Christ. Next week, we're going to go through each one of those point by point. And when I get to the end and ask you about regeneration, this one that we placed in our statement of faith and say, okay, what is it? Okay, when did it happen? And who was involved? You will be able to answer me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the truth and the power, the, the, just the life-transforming power of your word through your Holy Spirit. We can read it all day long without the Spirit's opening our eyes to it, and it will mean nothing. And so we thank you for your word that brings us salvation and also transformation, but we also thank you for your Holy Spirit who opened our eyes, gave us a new heart and a new mind so that we could come to that realization that we needed you in order to be saved and then that we need you in order to be transformed. That is such a, an unbelievably wonderful gift and we take it for granted. So Father, help us not take it for granted. Help us to just see you in everything that we say and do and that you will be with us through this transformation process, or even with us, with those who have not yet become followers of you, that they would see this, this word, and that your Holy Spirit would open their hearts and minds so that they could come to know you and be saved. Father, we're just so grateful. And it happens when we come together like we have today, Lord, and we come together, and your Holy Spirit inhabits this place, and it changes people's lives. Change us, Lord. Change us today through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word. And we thank you in advance and praise you and glorify you that you are a God who is willing to save these nasty, broken things that we are. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.